This is a bonus episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Now, this is a very special episode. This is something I've been wanting to do for probably a year, Um, but I kept putting it off because I knew it would be a lot of work, and this gig is already really hard. So today we found out that the Proud Boys who were on trial for seditious conspiracy were found guilty. And that's what prompted me to do this. This is my crazy, wacky, can't believe it, but it's true story about my journey uh, as a researcher of the Proud Boys that eventually turned into a journalist. Uh, There's a lot of crazy details in this. They're all real. And it's a bit long. So the written version does not fit in the Gmail on Substack. So you have to click on a thing at the bottom if you're reading this in the written version. Uh, And if you are listening, it might go a little long. I'm not sure. It's a few media clips, but not many. And I just want to say very quickly a warning. Because of the nature of this work, there are strong themes of racism, bigotry, anti-Semitism, and homophobia throughout this article. Some language is extremely offensive. It's not my language. It's the language of the founder of the Proud Boys. But... I think it needs to be included for context. I did mute a couple things. So here we go. I want to say very quickly, Decoding Fox News is a reader-supported publication. Uh, If you'd like to support this, you can go to my Substack and become a paid subscriber. You can also go to my Patreon for Decoding Fox News. I'm also sponsored by the Town Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY, which I am a graduate of that program. And that grant will be ending in mid August. So here we go. This story involves an aging hipster, a hate group, an ambush by the New York Daily News, a phone call to the FBI, a surprise visit by the NYPD Anti-Terrorism Task Force, a bomb threat, homemade raw cat food, and burlesque performers. In order to tell this whole story, I have to go back seven years. I won't waste too much of your time with my personal history, except to say that up until around 2013, I used to work as an MC slash producer in the burlesque scene in New York City. You can probably still find photos of me online in various costumes, screaming or singing at strangers. I only mention my past with burlesque because it directly led me into becoming a researcher of a far-rate hate group. And when I say MC, I mean I was the one that told jokes in between dancers. I was fully clothed and usually looked a little grotesque. <laughs> I tended to look creepy rather than glamorous, although I did, I did both, just an aside there. I'm not exactly sure when this whole endeavor started, but sometime before the last presidential election in 2016, a few friends asked me for a favor. They were still actively working as burlesque nighttime performers in various clubs in New York City. They sometimes worked with a woman who was making them extremely uncomfortable. For legal reasons, I'm going to call this person Portia. She's not the focus of the story, but because she's made several false accusations about me in the press and on social media, I'm going to avoid using her legal or stage name. Fall 2016. At this point, Portia had made a few appearances on The Gavin McInnes Show, TGMS. TGMS was one of the many shows on a subscription-based streaming platform, Compound Media, founded by disgraced shock jock Anthony Cumia. 
My friends who worked in nightclubs with Portia wanted me to capture every time she appeared on TGMS and give them the footage. My friends wanted to show producers proof that Portia was espousing what they thought were anti-LGBTQ and racist views. They didn't feel safe performing with her. They were also concerned that fans of the Gavin McInnes show might show up and cause trouble for a number of the LGBTQ performers who worked with them. McGinnis did not hide his contempt for trans women, even going so far as to call them mentally ill gays, and even wrote an article claiming that transphobia was perfectly natural. He even tweeted a direct threat that he and his boys might show up to a performance to intimidate performers who had criticized Portia. I never really captured videos off a computer screen before, and I didn't want to spend any money on expensive software, so I used my old camcorder and a laptop to capture episodes of The Gavin McInnes Show featuring this woman. When I started this, I thought I might capture five or six episodes. I ended up capturing 407. I would just line up the camera and crop the screen as best I could. The trickiest part was keeping my cats from meowing too much or walking through the shot. This was far more difficult than you can imagine some days. Almost immediately, I switched focus from Portia to McGinnis. Portia gave me exactly what my friends wanted. She would insult them, trash the nightclub, and the burlesque scene, while occasionally saying something embarrassing, hateful, or racist. Gavin McGinnis, founder of the Proud Boys. McGinnis was a co-founder of Vice Media. He severed ties with the company in 2008, due to creative differences, and walked away with a multi-million dollar settlement. His rhetoric was the same old tired, aggrieved white male shtick, mixed with racism, misogyny, xenophobia, and general bigotry. McGinnis wasn't unique in this vitriol. I could easily find a dozen angry white men on various platforms spewing the same kind of hate. What set McGinnis apart were two things. A fraternal group of men he founded called the Proud Boys, and McInnes's repeated statements glorifying and encouraging the use of violence for political means. The Proud Boys were supposed to be about celebrating masculinity and Western civilization. Members, in theory, could be any ethnicity or sexual orientation, although most of them featured on The Gavin McInnes Show were straight and white. Members were initiated into the group via a mild hazing and prohibited from masturbating. Soon after he founded the group, McGinnis claimed to have had at least 10,000 members with chapters worldwide. He also claimed his appearance on the Joe Rogan experience helped explode the group's popularity. I contacted a local Antifa group in New York City since they'd already run a story about Portia along with the, some other local far-right figures. I let them know what I was doing and asked if they wanted any specific footage. They told me immediately. They wanted whatever I could find of McInnes inciting violence. I sent them my first clip, one of McInnes saying this. Two, three, four, five men in this room have violated some stupid fucking law, and we could get thrown in jail tomorrow. So instead of hiding and hoping we don't get caught, we have to go, these laws are insane. Get a fucking gun. So you can see why I switched focus from this burlesque performer to this man. This was far more interesting to me. So after I gave this clip to the Antifa group, they thanked me 
but didn't really do much with it. I knew I could find more quotes, so I kept hunting. When I started this project, McGinnis had already made a couple hundred episodes and was making about four new episodes a week. I realized I could never be able to catch up and capture edit all of them, although I did later. <laughs> I figured the best way to get what I needed was to create a spreadsheet and edit episodes with high-profile guests such as Richard Spencer, David Duke, and Milo Yiannopoulos. I spent a day going through the entire catalog of existing episodes on the Compound site and wrote down as much as I could find on a spreadsheet. Within a couple of months, I'd completely given up on working with the local Antifa group. They didn't seem to know what to do with the footage I gave them, and they sometimes completely blew off my emails. I wasn't about to sit through dozens of hours of toxic rants by McGinnis for nothing. I also quickly noticed that McGinnis platformed any number of white nationalists or people who could be easily called extremists, such as Richard Spencer, Chuck C. Johnson, Jared Taylor, Nathan Domingo, Augustus Sol Invictus, Andrew Arheimer, Roms Paul, Baked Alaska, Austin Fletcher, Milo Yiannopoulos, Colin Flattery, Lauren Southern, Christopher Cantwell, Faith Goldie, and Peter Brimelow, among others. Here's another clip. I used to box at a gym called uh, Church Street Boxing Gym here in New York. And they had a huge motto. It was on their t-shirts, too. Fighting solves everything. We need more violence from the Trump people. Trump supporters, choke a motherfucker. Choke a bitch. Choke a penny. Get your fingers around the windpipe if they spit on you. That's assault. Don't fucking let anyone spit in your fucking face. That was another one of the first few ones that really alarmed me, and you can probably guess why. So McInnes accidentally led me to the perfect person to help me with this project. He kept trashing a journalist named Amanda Marcotte. He claimed he was suing her over an article which she'd written about him on Salon.com. In the article, she correctly pointed out that he was promoting white supremacy. I figured if anyone would want to see this footage, it would be Marquette. When Marquette and I met, she was floored by the sheer amount of clips I'd organized. I had folders for every topic. Black people, Latino, Asian, women, Muslims, LBGTQ, and of course, violence. Marquette said that she would talk to her editor and see what she could do. McInnes has repeatedly said that the Proud Boys are not violent and did not promote white supremacy. The amount of times McInnes used the N-word and other racial slurs was staggering. After a month or so, Marquette let me know that her editor didn't want to go with the story for a number of different reasons, but she referred me to other reporters who worked the same beat. So in March of 2017, I took about 10 minutes worth of coverage with a transcript and I put it on a flash drive and I sent it to the FBI headquarters in New York. And I sent it anonymously because I didn't really want to get that involved, but I just thought they should know about it. I had also seen some evidence that there was some investigation into this group already. So I don't think I was the first person. I just think I was one of many to help kind of have them take a look at this group. So here's another clip, also very disturbing. This is from episode 322. I was on Melsberg uh, on Newsmax yesterday, mm-hmm. and he goes, I go, it's fun to punch these kids because they've never been punched before. 
So they fall on their ass, and they look like uh, Indiana Jones. I was watching Indiana Jones last night. Remember that bald dude when he's trying to get into the Nazi plane, and he keeps punching him, and Indiana Jones, the guy's so huge, Indiana Jones is like, bonk, on his ass after every punch, and that's what it's like with them. And then Malzberg goes, you're not advocating violence, are you? And I go, I absolutely am. In fact, I'm mad at you for not advocating it in the past. It's a wonderful, effective thing. The fourth degree. I'm not sure exactly when I stumbled on the fourth degree as I was jumping around the catalog of episodes. But on uh, November 28th, 2016, episode 253, McGinnis announced a new level in the Proud Boys organization. A Proud Boy named Sean Fitchner was declared the first fourth degree Proud Boy after he'd gotten arrested and then briefly jailed over a fight. The first, second, and third degrees of Proud Boy membership are as follows. First degree, stating the Proud Boys' creed. Second degree, saying five breakfast cereals while being punched by other Proud Boys. Third degree, getting a tattoo of the words Proud Boys somewhere on your body. Fourth degree, get in a fight, get arrested for the cause. Exact wording changed over time. This is the episode. It's being physically assaulted um, for the cause. Getting arrested, uh, getting in a fight. Now, the fight has to be an organized fight, not just getting in a fight. So it has to be some sort of conflict that is officiated. Now, if you get arrested for something, that's being officiated by the police. So that counts. So I'll, I'll just make it two things. One, an organized fight in a ring. Boom, fourth degree. Two, you got arrested for fucking around, and it was Proud Boys related. That's fourth degree. So those, one of those two things. As I progressed through the series, I noticed McGinnis ramping up his calls for violence. I was collecting quotes from nearly every single episode. Then something happened that dramatically changed his tone. Unite the right rally. The death of Heather Heyer. On August 12, 2017, in Charlottesville, Virginia, James Alex Fields Jr. intentionally drove his car into a crowd of people, injuring 28 and killing Heather Heyer. Fields previously espoused white supremacist and neo-Nazi beliefs. Although there is no evidence that Fields was connected in any way with the Proud Boys or their organization, a former Proud Boy, Jason Kessler, was one of the organizers of the event. McInnes did not attend the event himself, but some members of the Proud Boys did. To quote the Southern Poverty Law Center, their disavowals of bigotry are belied by their actions. Rank and file Proud Boys and leaders regularly spout white nationalist memes and maintain affiliations with known extremists. They are known for anti-Muslim and misogynistic rhetoric. Proud Boys have appeared alongside other hate groups at extremist gatherings like Unite the Right, Rally in Charlottesville. Indeed, former Proud Boys member Jason Kessler helped organize this event, which brought together Klansmen, anti-Semites, Southern racists, and militias. Kessler was only expelled from the hate group after the violence and near-universal condemnation of the Charlottesville rally goers. Now, after Unite the Right, McGinnis immediately pulled back on most of his violent rhetoric and disavowed Jason Kessler, claiming he was never a Proud Boy to begin with although there was footage that showed up later that proved that he was. McGinnis soon left Compound Media for a new job at CRTV, a network owned by Mark Levin, a conservative lawyer, author, and radio personality, who is now with Fox News. 
The move appeared to be an attempt to rebrand. CRTV had a more traditional conservative base, including Christians, who wouldn't go for McGinnis's typical antics. I watched a couple episodes of his new show, Get Off My Lawn, and immediately lost interest, as I could tell McGinnis was essentially muzzled. I knew I wouldn't get useful content, so I didn't bother capturing any of it. Quotes from the footage I had captured from The Gavin McInnes Show were making their way into various articles. The real game changer was what came when Michael Edison Hayden, now of the Southern Poverty Law Center, introduced me to the satirist Vic Berger IV and Nathan Bernard. At the time, Berger worked for Super Deluxe, a division of Turner Broadcasting. Berger was known for making trippy, surreal, satirical videos using found footage of various politicians and celebrities. Berger had already targeted McGinnis for ridicule before I contacted him. His first short videos of McGinnis made with my clips were meant to embarrass and mock him more than anything else. McGinnis made this job somewhat easy as he tended to do incredibly outrageous things on camera, such as inserting a butt plug into his own anus, wiping, whipping his penis out, and humping green screens with porn stars projected on them. I think there's a, a something that a lot of people are too scared to bring up when you talk about Western culture is white yeah. culture. And I <laughs> I keep it cultural, and I have I, <laughs> I have plenty of black friends, and I'm not going to... Yeah. But when I think of other cultures in other races in America, the ones that thrive are the ones that tend to go white. Like, I got Indian kids. We spend a lot more time doing white stuff than we do at powwows, for example. Yeah. Um, so... I think the West is made up of white people and people who recognize that the white system seems to be a pretty good system. It's a very contentious subject, but I think the sort of sub-angle with this is uh, Western culture is on the demise, and if we could unify it, it might have a chance of going from this to this, because you know whatever replaces the West is going to be worse. So I'm just kind of randomly putting these clips in because there's no real way to fit them in. I didn't want to do them as, as a long list, but that was probably the wor one of the worst ones I heard because it was just so blatantly, there's no way to hide that you're white supremacist when you say something like that. And there's a couple more that you're going to hear. So in May of 2018, the Proud Boys threaten my friend, Vic Berger IV. After a couple of somewhat successful parody videos of McGinnis, a member of the Proud Boys showed up at Vic Berger's house as a means of intimidating him. Berger chased the man down and filed a police report. Berger's response was to double down and make even more videos critical of McGinnis using the footage I gave him. Around this same time, my name appeared in an article on the now defunct blog slash website of Milo Yiannopoulos. In a long and rambling mess written by fellow Proud Boy Paul Bazile, I was accused of all sorts of nonsense regarding Portia. Now, I haven't mentioned Portia for some time. She's this person who sort of got me into this accidentally. So the, obviously this person's not that big of a deal to me. So this is why I was like, what? Somebody sent me this article. This article used the plural pronoun they throughout, so I wasn't really sure what I was being accused of by Portia or Brazil. The blog post didn't show up in a news search for my name, so I decided to ignore it completely. I got exactly three hostile comments on my social media from it. And I'm just going to add this caveat that's not in the newsletter, but they used an image of another woman instead of my image. 
at the top of the article. And so I noticed in the comments that people thought this other woman was me and the woman looked nothing like me. So I, I was, I fell over laughing about that because I thought it was funny that the Nordic looking blonde woman who's preppy looking for the most part was not the right message that they wanted to send. So they used um, a very kind of masculine looking woman who uh, I'm sure she's a lovely person. I don't want to say that she was unattractive. She just looked very, very different than me, like kind of kind of more of like what you consider like an Antifa stereotype of of like piercings and short hair. And and again, I don't want to say anything bad about this person. I am sure they're a lovely human being. It's just, and they were like screaming in the photo. So it just, they, they couldn't use my picture. They had, to, so that was, that was kind of humorous. But anyway, I don't have time to fit that in the newsletter, but that's just a little, a little aside there. So now I move into another total weird realm with this whole story. Portia, this woman who's not been very important in the story at all, kind of a toss away at the beginning because she wasn't important, <laughs> uh, tries to have me arrested. Oh, yes, this is where it gets nutty. I mentioned this on MSNBC. Here are the details. So about a week after my friend Vic gets accosted by a proud boy in his home, uh, I think it's safe to say this now because Vic does not live there anymore. In Pennsylvania, the man had driven from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania to knock on my friend's door and say, stop making videos about the proud boys. And uh, yeah. This is, and this is a person who's married with children and the, yes, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Vic like chased him down. So around the same time, I get a voicemail from a state trooper in Rhinebeck, New York, telling me he's contacting me on behalf of this woman, Portia. A friend told me Portia's former stepfather was a New York state trooper. Wow. Funny how that works. So after about two and a half months of phone tag, the officer did not have voicemail. The entire ordeal was resolved with a phone call. The officer let me know the complaint was not a criminal matter. <laughs> the accusation against me was that I had given private information about Portia to the local Antifa group. Now, I'd only contacted the group after, that's very important, I'd seen the group publish an article where they called out several local folks for being involved with the alt-right. Portia was one of many. That's the only reason I thought to, because they'd already done this. Portia went, then went on various right-wing media outlets, including Infowars, where she made claims about suing me and having me arrested. I have never been sued. I was not arrested. Although she never called me out by name, it was obvious to me who she was talking about. Now, with this uh, police officer, uh, it's totally legal in New York to save and not tell the other person that you're recording. I've recorded everything. So I have the entire phone call. I have uh, recordings of every single voicemail. So if anyone tries to say that this did not happen, well, I got it. I can whip it out and prove that this happened. Uh, I, I, there was, there's more details to that, but for legal reasons, I'm going to leave them out. But I did call this person's supervisor. I called the district attorney because I was like, why on earth am I being harassed by a cop over what again? Because there's no criminal charge here. And there was never a criminal charge. It was ridiculous. Uh, I've never had that person's personal information, never wanted it, never cared, never contacted this person. In fact, they contacted me and I had evidence of that, which I showed the cop. Anyway, <laughs> fun times. Don't, you know, anyway. So here's another clip from the Gavin McInnes show 
that would definitely be called white supremacist, in my humble opinion. Started the microchip 3.5 billion years ago, and he just sort of rolled it. And he said, this is what's going to happen. If, if you're a dodo bird and you can't fly and you're delicious, you're going to get eaten. You're not going to last long. And then the other guys who experience winter, they're going to become real tough. They're going to become Vikings. They're going to take over the world. And they're going to be my best people. <laughs> they're the chosen ones. I also included that clip because um, that was a very typical of the style that McInnes does, is that he'd say something and then kind of laugh about it as if it was a joke. Tucker Carlson did a, a very similar technique. It's a very common propaganda technique, so they can try to say that they're not really saying what they just said. But it's, you know, when you keep doing it over and over and over again, it's fairly obvious what's going on there. So August 2018, McInnes gets kicked off Twitter about a week before the second Unite the Right rally in Washington, D.C., which happened to be a total bust. Twitter suspended the account of McInnes and all accounts associated with the Proud Boys. McInnes had only been had been openly taunting Vic Berger about the incident at his home on the platform. I think that's why he got kicked off, but I don't have any proof. It's just my opinion about that. To October 2018. Here we go. Another huge thing happens here. The Metropolitan Republican Club brawl. McGinnis was invited to speak at the Metropolitan Republican Club in the posh Upper East Side neighborhood in Manhattan. The club had been hit with vandalism and threats allegedly by Antifa groups before the meeting. That night, Several different groups showed up to protest the event, which ended with McGinnis brandishing a plastic sword before he entered a car and drove away. Soon after, a fight broke out and a group of protesters were beaten up by members of the Proud Boys. As soon as the news broke about the fight, I was flooded with requests for my footage. At this point, I had curated and edited about an hour and a half worth of clips about violence. I created a file sharing account and then contacted journalists who had already been working with, such as Andy Campbell, Michael Edison Hayden, Christopher Mathias, Jared Holt, Amanda Marcotte, and a slew of other reporters. Within a couple of days, Berger, using several of the clips I gave him, made a video that got roughly 2 million views on Twitter. Berger's video was devastating. He captured what I'd been seeing for years in a perfect 2-minute, 20-second video. The Proud Boys and Gavin were summarily kicked off of Facebook and Instagram soon after. Within a week or so of the video dropping, McGinnis was fired from his show on the newly formed Blaze TV, which was CRTV had merged with Blaze TV, and McGinnis was immediately fired. That week, I decided to call the FBI and tell them what I had. Although I didn't give the agent my name, I did give her my phone number, which she could have led them to me instantly. She told me to go ahead and drop my letter and the flash drive off at the FBI office in New York City. After working on cleaning up all my files for hours, I rushed to get to their headquarters where I was told that I couldn't drop anything off in person. Due to security reasons, they would only accept my submission via the U.S. Postal Service. I asked them what was the best way to hide my identity, and the clerk told me to use their address as my return address. It's a very important detail. So then I went home and mailed the padded envelope the next day, along with one for the state's attorney. I included Jared Holt of Right Wing Watch as a potential contact if they needed any additional information. And Jared, of course, agreed, agreed to do that. He is a brilliant, brilliant researcher. Um, he's no longer with Right Wing Watch. He has moved on. He is uh, abs Follow him on Twitter, please. Buy any book if he ever comes out with a book. Jared Holt is 
is absolutely brilliant. Cannot say enough good things about him. Okay, so Governor Andrew Cuomo begged for information on the Proud Boys because they just had this fight at the Metropolitan Republican Club. It had gotten crazy amounts of press. It was like all over the internet. So then I made a list of everyone else I thought should see this footage. I started with a brief list of government officials the Southern Poverty Law Center provided on their website. The governor and mayor were both begging the public for information on this homegrown hate group. So with the help of some of the burlesque performers, I purchased flash drives in bulk from Amazon. I made a six-minute montage of the worst clips from government officials and filled larger drives with everything I had for media outlets. Over the course of a few days, I sent out about 20 padded envelopes, all addressed as the FBI had instructed. Each envelope was completely flat, weighed exactly two ounces, and contained nothing but a flash drive and one piece of paper. It might seem odd to send flash drives, but video files are huge, and I couldn't stick this stuff on an email. I used the sender's address as my return address. I mailed about half of them from my local post office using my debit card and the other half from the main post office across from Madison Square Garden. I purposefully used a clerk instead of stamps or a self-service machine to avoid suspicion. And I'm not kidding, because I knew that that label would contain my information if they, if they actually needed it. I just didn't want my name on it, and I knew anything with stamps is highly, highly suspect. If you just put like a bazillion stamps on an envelope, that just is a huge red flag. So I didn't do that. So here we go. It gets even crazier. <laughs> so they go to Nick Vic Berger's house. One of them tries to get me arrested. Then there's this crazy fight. And now we enter the non-bomb bomb threat. On the morning, I'm laughing because this is so nuts, of October 24, 2018, I got an email from Amanda Marcotte. She knew I was sending things out to various officials and she thought she spotted my envelope. She attached an image. My heart sank. There it was. A photo of the envelope I'd sent to the governor on some type of scale in a mailroom. I had the unfortunate luck to send my packages out on the same day that a crazy Trump supporter sent out pipe bombs to various Democrat politicians and media outlets. I cannot make this up. <laughs> you can... If you look at the newsletter, I have evidence that this happened. There were photos and articles and links. This happened. This really did happen. The fact that my envelope contained a small piece of metal and had no return address was enough for authorities to panic and flag it. I immediately called the governor's office. As soon as I could get an operator, I said the following. I'm the person who sent that package that you think is a bomb. It is harmless. Do you know that yet? The operator replied. You need to speak to a police officer. Can you hold, please? <laughs> sure. <laughs> About 10 minutes later, I spoke to a state trooper in charge of the case. At this point, they opened the envelope and realized it was, in fact, harmless. They'd already done that. So after speaking with the officer for at least 20, 30 minutes, I thought my ordeal was over. Here's what the package looked like. And again, if you go to the newsletter, you can see an image of this. And this is what the pipe bombs look like. And I showed the both and again the pipelines had stamps if you want something flagged put stamps on it put like a bazillion stamps because that means you didn't go to a clerk i purposely didn't do that okay so notice the many differences mine included a label from an actual clerk in a brooklyn post office the information on the label would most likely trace right back to my debit card if law enforcement really wanted to know where it came from the pipe bombs were sent from florida florida 
I also hand wrote the address on and my package was completely flat and weighed two ounces. I even wrote Proud Boys with an asterisk at the bottom of the envelope in the hopes that someone might figure out it was a crime tip. I'm not sure why they thought anything that weighed only two ounces could be a bum, but apparently my innocent crime tip sent off a reaction that led to about 400 police officers storming the mailroom and the Manhattan offices of Governor Cuomo. I'm not kidding. Meanwhile, on Twitter, people had traced my package back to the post office from where I sent it based on the label. Oh, yes. My mind raced as I thought back to the ridiculous article on Milo's website that had been published in May. I'm sure the author, Paul Bazile, knew where I lived. They might actually figure out who sent the package. I contacted the reporters who posted the image, but they couldn't have cared less that they had documented a crime tip as a potential bomb. That night, it was time to make a fresh batch of cat food. An activity I did about once a month. To make the cat food, I have to move everything off my counter onto my table, which makes a huge mess. I then take frozen chopped up chicken thighs, bones and all, and shove them through a grinder, which makes a lot of noise and tends to splatter bone marrow in various directions. The whole process is arduous and disgusting. And remember, I'm a vegetarian, so this makes it even funnier. So at like 9 p.m. that night, after making my first batch of food, I got a knock on my door. Again, my heart sank. Maybe it was one of the Proud Boys who figured out I was the source of information showing up to my home like they did to Vic Berger. So I said, could you identify yourself, please? I asked as I looked through a peephole and see like three very large plainclothes officers. NYPD and state police just wanted to ask you a few questions, ma'am, said the voice behind the door. Oh, thank God it's you, I said quickly, peeked through the door. I've got blood all over my hands. I was making cat food. Give me a second. True story. I actually did say that. So I'm putting, (laughs) I put the remaining frozen chicken back into the freezer, put my meat cleaver down, ripped off my gloves and let the cops in. My apartment looked about as bad as it ever looks. So I apologize for the mess. I could also smell the distinctive stench of dead chicken throughout my 450 square foot apartment. The cops walked in, realized it was a studio apartment, and settled in. I was sitting while they stood. It was two state troopers and two NYPD officers, all in plain clothes, while an unknown number of plain clothes officers also waited outside in the hallway. Then they asked, and they were actually, to specify, it was the NYPD Anti-Terrorism Task Force. Then the questions started. Have you dated any member of the Proud Boys? No. Are you a member of Antifa? No. Why would you do this? Because I was seriously worried that they were going to hurt someone. Why are you trying to get out of this? Nothing. I was just trying to help. Why would you send this to the same day as a pipe bomb? Well, if I had a crystal ball, I would go back in time and send it on another day. The state troopers were kind and openly made fun of Gavin McInnes. The NYP members acted like I was insane. The main NYPT detective stared at various objects in my office area. An old mermaid parade costume of the Statue of Liberty with the words resist across the crown was of great interest. The female state trooper seemed genuinely interested in the raw diet I fed my cats. My guess is she was there to keep me calm. 
After about 30, 40 minutes, I gave the officers a list of everywhere I'd sent the envelopes and proved to them that I had absolutely nothing to hide. I got my first laugh line when I told them, I'm not a radical. I voted for Hillary Clinton. Do you want to see one of my campaign t-shirts? I thought it would be obvious when they saw the three cats running around. I had three at the time. And two giant overstuffed bookshelves. What kind of person I was. A nerd. I also want to add one little quick caveat that's not in the newsletter. They were baffled that I'd never had a speeding ticket or parking ticket of any kind. And that's because I don't have a driver's license. So they came, because I don't drive. So they came in and they're like, you don't even exist on paper except that we know that you voted. And I'm like, yeah, uh uh-huh. I voted and I've lived here for a long time. And they, they were just like, we had nothing on you. I'm like, yeah, nothing on me. I'm a nerd. And I was wearing, I'll describe, I was wearing like this black uh, like shirt that's like an undershirt that was supposed to go underneath something. It was like a heat tech shirt. And then I had bright green socks on. And I, I remember I, my hair was dirty and it was in a St. Louis Cardinals cap. I looked like hell. I was like, oh, hello, crowd of people. So the next day, it gets even weirder. You didn't think it could get weirder. It gets weirder. I call this one the ambush. So Thursday, October 25th, 2018. I'm coming home from a kid's party. Now, I was a face painter as one of my main jobs at the time. Believe it or not. Yes. Odd but true. Um, I had a regular client in the Upper West Side. I had on a blue velvet jacket trimmed with metallic brocade, a felt top hat, along with my shopping trolley covered in kid-friendly patches. So I look kind of comical. I saw an older white man in my lobby who was just sitting there with a notepad. I assumed it was another cop. I went to my bail box, got my mail, and tried to avoid him. Miss Jesk, he mispronounced my last name, a common mistake. People assume the E is silent. My last name is Prussian, not French, and is pronounced closer to Jesky. When I turned, I saw his press badge, New York Daily News, around his neck, and I really panicked. Somehow, having four cops in my apartment didn't freak me out. But being exposed as a source on this story sent me into absolute terror. How do you know my name? I sent you something anonymously. I do not want to be named. I do not want to be this story. Why would you do this to a source? Please leave me alone. Give me your phone. I want to talk to your boss. The reporter seemed stunned and obliged. So I'm holding his phone. I proceeded to chew out his boss. I was then hit up with the same series of stupid questions, all of which I answered as as I had in the past with the cops. The one that really pissed me off was, have you ever dated any of these men? I understand why that might seem like an obvious question, but it annoyed me that they would think a woman couldn't do something like this without that type of revenge motive. Then he asked, did you give this to the New York Post? I responded, no. Why would I waste the postage on them? Good. I swear to God, he did say that. The New York Daily News and the New York uh, Post hate each other. (laughs) (laughs) And the New York Post is owned by Rupert Murdoch and it has been trash for years. So yeah, I did not send them anything because why? Why would I send a garbage tabloid something that I thought was very important? I wouldn't. So anyway, so and that did actually happen. That that was probably the funniest thing that happened out of this whole thing. That line, I, I wrote it down in my notes after this happened. And so when I wrote this together, I was like, yeah, that did happen. So the reporter's boss told me that they'd received my information through a source at the NYPD. So my panic only got worse. 
I found out weeks later that they most likely got my information through a police scanner. And this is from talking to reporters. They were making an educated guess based on the fact that both the NYPD and anti-terrorism task force and state police showed up at my apartment the night before. After going back and forth with the reporter on the phone and the one in my lobby, I had a complete breakdown. And when I say I had a complete breakdown, I was full tears, losing my mind. I quoted to them from a video I'd seen and captured the night before that Paul Bazile, one of the Proud Boys, had made on a Facebook Proud Boys group. The entire group had been kicked off Facebook only a few days after this incident. So here's the quote. If it is, the rest of the Proud Boys want to know about it, too, because we want to root this motherfucker out and fucking hang him from the highest tree, metaphorically speaking. We don't want anything to do with an asshole who would do anything. So again, to recap, when I saw that, this was after my friend Vic had a Proud Boy show up his home. This is after one of them tried to have me arrested. And, I, and now I have a member of the press who's about to expose me to the world over something I want absolutely nothing. I just did not want my name in anything. And I don't regret doing this at all. I don't regret, like, not wanting to be public at this time. I think I would have been harmed. I think I would have been harassed with an inch of my life. So I tell that quote, I paraphrase what I just heard, to this reporter. And I totally, completely melted down. Like, full tears, sobbing, freaking out, saying, you know, uh... And this is all true. And this, it gets to me every time I read this story. But I said something to the effect of having grandparents of German descent who couldn't even speak of World War II without sobbing. My grandmother. I had always asked myself what would I would do if I saw the rise of something so horrible in my lifetime. I was just trying to help. I didn't want publicity. I didn't make any money off this entire ordeal. I spent money on it. I wasn't that I disagreed with their politics. It was that they were promoting violence and hate. I'm not even sure what I said as I was a complete and utter mess. I got off the phone. I saw the reporter and this man who was probably in his late 50s. He was crying. And he said, I'm so sorry. We didn't know. Thanks so much for trying to do the right thing. We need more Americans like you. I wiped my tears and got into the elevator and called a family member who assured me they wouldn't run this story if I was this upset. And this family member is an attorney. And technically they could have. And I have very mixed feelings about this because what happened to me was terrifying because I was an anonymous source and I didn't want to be exposed and I didn't want publicity and I didn't want my name in the paper and I didn't want any sort of credit from this or anything like that. But part of me was also like, I get why New York Daily News did what they did because they're reporters and now I'm a reporter and I've been to J school and I understand. But I have the utmost respect for that reporter and his boss for not running that story. Because as I explained to them, this will fade. No one will care. Tomorrow this story will be over. Nothing happened. Nobody got hurt. Just leave me alone. I don't want to be a source. So I guess I should have known that something like this could have happened. But I never thought in a million years that my tiny flash drive would be mistaken for a bomb or that a reporter would want to do a story about me. So I found out later that the NYPD 
had gone around to all the locations I sent envelopes to and picked them up, which kind of, that hurt. The only two media companies who refused to give them up were the New York Daily News, tip of the hat, guys, and BuzzFeed News. BuzzFeed News no longer exists. That hurt. That hurt. That hurt. Here's two more clips that are fairly disturbing. Black people generally do not have a body like that. They spent more time climbing trees, or I don't know what it is, but something genetically is built up. If you're with Leslie Jones, right, and then you see your guys the next day. I'm sure Leslie Jones are like, great catch. And they're like, so walk on with that big uh, gorilla from SNL, you know. Those are just a couple of many. I had an entire folder called Black People uh, Compared to Primates. Sadly, I did. At least six comments, roughly. Off the top of my head, I don't remember, but it was multiple references that Gavin McInnes made. And this man literally tries to say he's not racist. Okay, whatever. Saturday, October 29th. It gets worse. And this has nothing to do with me. My worst fears came true. I woke up. I want to cry. I woke up late having been drained by the week's events. And again, none of my friends knew any of this was going on. I had a couple family members who knew any of this. I was very good about keeping the secret. Very few people knew what I was doing. I picked up my phone and I had another meltdown. My phone was filled up with updates about a mass shooting. It was a synagogue in Pittsburgh. 11 people were dead simply for being Jewish. The man was driven by a deep hatred that had been stoked by others on the far right. I couldn't move and could barely breathe. Through studying McGinnis, I'd learned far more about any number of far right personalities and the toxic hate they promoted. McGinnis had made a number of problematic statements about Jewish people, including terrible jokes about the Holocaust. McGinnis tread a fine line. He was usually not overtly anti-Semitic, yet he had guests on his show, like David Duke, who'd built a career on his hatred of Jews. Was this the start? Would there be more shootings? November 21st, 2018. McGinnis posts a video on YouTube where he formally quits the Proud Boys. He claimed he was quitting the group on the basis that it might help the men who were charged win the fight outside the Metropolitan Republican Club. It seemed more like McInnes was trying to save himself more than anything else. August 1st, 2019. The trial for two of the men arrested and charged in the fight outside the Metropolitan Republican Club begins. A couple of weeks earlier, I contacted the assistant district attorney handling the case, Joshua Steinglass. I was surprised that the operator gave me him directly and not a paralegal. It actually happened. At first, he also thought I was a random nut job until I described exactly what I'd sent the state's attorney months earlier. For the next few weeks, I agreed to capture and edit any comments McInnes or any of his guests made about the case and send them to Steinglass via his paralegal. So what I'd sent Steinglass was everything I had on the Proud Boys, which was I made a montage of all the violent clips. It was, it was about At that point, I think it was about two hours long. It kept getting longer the more I went through all the episodes. So... I would find myself coming home after long catering gigs or special events. That was my day job. And then watching McGinnis on his new network. McGinnis talked about the case constantly. So I was basically giving the paralegal something every day. I also discovered that some of the clips that I gave to the state's attorney were being used as evidence in the case, or at least submitted as evidence. 
The quote about Gavin comparing Barack Obama to a monkey was quoted in the New York Times. So this is harsh. And I did edit part of it. I think my favorite monkey has to be Barack Obama. He's my favorite. Now, the line that I cut out was he said the N-word and he actually said the full word. Not he didn't say the N-word. He said the actual word. So October 22nd, 2019. And then uh, on a side note, Gavin McInnes tried to say he never said that and said he was going to sue the New York Times, that he was going to sue the ADA. And then I gave the reporters, Colin Moynihan, I gave him the full episode. And Colin Moynihan gave Gavin McInnes the full episode. Oops, you did say that. Okay. So about a year after the brawl outside the Metropolitan Republican Club, two members of the Proud Boys were sentenced to four years in prison for the actions that night of the fight. I found out via text by Jared Holt while in the middle of a catering gig. That was surreal. I had mixed feelings. I actually felt somewhat sorry for the two men. One of them did kick another man in the head, but I agreed with the judge on the case, Mark Dwyer, who said, It's a shame when some people jump up and down on a platform and their followers, their soldiers, get into trouble. McGinnis was reckless of his promotion of violence. He somehow thought using violence as a mean of political change was something he came up with. He didn't bother to notice the overwhelming evidence that violence just begets more violence and that any group who tries to beat their opponents into submission is rarely viewed as positively. November 19th, still gets weirder, 2019, the Cat Lady confronts the Proud Boys. A group calling themselves Latino for Trump held a rally and supported the convicted Proud Boys outside a Trump Tower in Midtown Manhattan. About two dozen Proud Boys supporters were met by approximately 300 counter-protesters across the street. The protest was rather tame as the NYPD made sure the two groups were nowhere near each other. The night before, I made a two-sided sign. I rarely go to protests of any kind, but I decided to go to this one. I put on my Vic Berger t-shirt. <laughs> I did. I have a t-shirt with Vic, Vic, Vic Berger on it and layered up as it was bitterly cold that day. It was like in the 20s. The front of my sign said, beware crazy cat ladies. And that was meant as an inside joke for Vic Berger and the many reporters I'd worked with. The flip side of the sign said, proud boys go back to your mommies and had art on it. And the following image is from a story about the march in the New York Post. And this Gavin, I cannot make this up. Gavin McGinnis on his new network showed an image from the New York Post. And there I am clear as day holding this sign that says, proud boys go back to your mommies. Because it was good. I did a good job. I'm artistic. Hello. Um, and he pointed that out. Like, look at that sign. How do they know that saying? How that's our saying. How do you know that saying? Well, because I know your show, you idiot. So that's me on the screen while McGinnis discussed my protest sign. I nearly fell over when I realized they were referencing me. I realized at that moment why Antifa protesters often cover their faces. Soon after, I stopped watching or editing McGinnis' show. He spent more episodes complaining about his plight more than anything else. He once had a 50-minute segment called The People in Your Neighborhood, where he ranted about the various different types of people who accosted him in public. I'm sure his viewers could relate. In the days after the Pittsburgh shooting, I decided I was going to change course completely and go back to school to pursue researching and writing about the far right full time. I ended up attending the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY, which turned out to be the absolute perfect fit for me. McGinnis was his own worst enemy. In his attempts to silence or intimidate his critics, like Marcotte, 
He led me directly to the best resource to expose him. She helped me network with other reporters. I also used McInnes as a guide of sorts. He would insult a journalist in a segment. I'd capture the footage and then send it to the reporter. It's how I met Colin Moynihan of the New York Times. If McInnes ever confronted me, he'd call me a spinster with dried up ovaries who'd become a colostomy bag for men's cum. That was a common phrase he used for unmarried women. He'd say, I can't write, and then I'm a loser, even though as an entrepreneur, technically the Proud Boys are supposed to celebrate me. I occasionally get hateful emails or other correspondence from people associated with the group. Portia has come at me since, but I think a lawyer might have told her to stop using my name, because she did. The FBI, NYPD, could search my phone and every computer I own, and they'd find nothing that would implicate me in any plot against Portia other than what I've described in this article. In the most surprising twist of the story, I discovered that Alex Jones was kicked off of Facebook due to his association with McGinnis. I sent an email to the number of reporters I've worked with with a subject title, We Are the Masters of the Universe. I was joking, of course, but I never would have imagined when I set this off on this project that would I would ever have any influence towards getting someone like Jones kicked off a platform like Facebook. I was just a nerdy, crazy cat lady after all. I still make raw cat food. Actually, I don't. At the time I wrote this, I did. Although now I have a much better meat grinder and it doesn't make nearly as big of a mess. That is true. I did. I bought like a $450 meat grinder. And let me tell you, if you're going to get a meat grinder, go for an expensive one. That's it. That's the podcast. That's the story. It's nutty. It was a roller coaster. 100% of it is true. And yeah completely changed my life. So you can understand why I get a little, I get a little, little, little emotional about that group. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you'd like to support this podcast, please give me a rating uh, at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, You can support it by becoming a paid subscriber at my my Substack or Patreon. You can become a supporter at my Patreon. You can also, there's a little dollar bill at the top of my Twitter. You can just donate straight directly that way. Thank you very much. Odin and Thor, thank you. And I just want to say very quickly, the cats that I had at the time were named. I had three. They were beautiful. They all died within the very short period of time. So it was very traumatic. Shotzi, Otto von Bismarck, and Leopold. And this is dedicated to them. Thank you so much. 